Yeah, can you uh, can you hold on for just a moment? Um, I have just noticed there is a giant wolf spider on the table in front of me, and I must destroy it. Guess what I used to destroy it? A shoe. The copy of the four-hour work week that I spilled water on three weeks ago. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Ferriss is literally changing my life. Oh, I guess. <laughs> In ways you might not expect. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled, Thanks, Al Gore. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, please visit us online at priority.fm slash six. I do want to, before we talk about the uh, the article that we are going to discuss as our notional topic this week, I do want to do a quick little bit of uh, follow-up, if I could. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so usually, uh, so the really meta stuff, if uh, those of you listening at home, um, you will probably know that the meta stuff we usually restrict to the uh, opening theme and closing theme, where I will announce, you know, what is the, the URL for the show notes for that week, and uh, where can you follow us on Twitter? What can you do to help us out on iTunes? Things like that. Um, I usually restrict to to the, the opening and closing theme music. Um, this week, I want to say something in the main body of the show in case anybody turns it off when the closing theme rolls, <laughs> just so <laughs> they know. Uh, and also because we have some more people listening, and I want to make sure everyone's aware of this because we haven't haven't done a lot to publicize it. Um, at the moment, I mean, obviously we're not a call-in show. We don't have a phone number. We're not going to Skype with you at home who are listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do want to participate in the show, if you have questions or concerns or arguments, disagreements with anything we've said, um, if you, if you know of further sources that might, um, support or argue against stuff we're talking about, if you have an idea for a show topic, um, we would love to hear any and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and particularly feedback, just, you know, just in general, how are we doing? What do you like? What do you not like? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? Uh, to do that, there's a couple different things you can do. One is on our website, there is a contact page that has a form that will send an email to an account that uh, I have right now. I'll make sure Katie gets access to it as well. <laughs> um, but we can take email on on any subject you want there. Um and uh, in addition to that, we're also on Twitter. Um, Katie and I both have Twitter accounts of our own. Uh, and there is a show account as well, which I'd recommend following, which is at Priority FM. Um, no punctuation, unlike our website URL. Uh, again, that's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Um, so if you follow us on there, um, you can certainly tweet questions at us. Uh, right now, I'm following anybody and everybody back if they follow, so you'll also be able to send direct messages via Twitter if you prefer to communicate that way. So yeah, um, feedback, questions, comments, concerns, anything you've got, send them our way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my that's my meta follow-up, um, which is appropriate because today we're going to kind of follow up on topics we discussed last week uh, with a new source. Mm-hmm. You spelled priority out loud very quickly. <laughs> I don't feel like I could say it that quickly. I'd have to think a little longer. Well, um, you know, I've announced the Twitter handle on the closing theme twice. Mm, that's and, true. That's and true. I don't I don't record those while we're on Skype, so you don't know how many times I had to practice it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking I mean, of practice and preparation. That's right. 
It's all meta. Everything's connected. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so this week, um, due to some constraints, like the uh, the time I'm I'm assuming that my voice is willing to give me with a little bit of um, unwellness, unhealth this week, um, I had an idea for a little... A little brief conversation, some follow-up to the topic from last week about preparation, because I came across this article from the Chronicle of Education, um, came out about a week ago, I saw it a few days ago, um, that feels related, but also raises some other questions and concerns. Um, So have you had a chance to look at this? Uh, Yes, I have. I read it uh, about an hour ago. I read through the entire thing once and then made it partway through a second time making notes. Um, one thing I'll, one thing I'll mention, um, my first thought upon seeing the article when you sent over the link, um, uh, have you said the title of it yet? No. So the article is Presenting Without a Net by Rachel Tor. Indeed. And when I saw the without a net, my first thought was, ooh, but what kind of net? Safety? Enter? Hair? Fish? Drag? There's oh, a lot of, Lord. a lot of nets out there. Indeed. No, and then as you were bringing that up, I just realized that this connects to one of my contributions last week, which was um, about Nick Walenda of the Flying Walendas. Mm-hmm. In- initially, um, uh, actually, <laughs> the real thing I thought when, when I saw the title was I was thinking it would probably be about him because of that tie-in. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, not about him, um, but this author, uh, Rachel Torrigan, also does bring up the idea of safety and security and having a fallback. Um, yeah. So in this article, um, and Rachel Torr is an academic, she teaches creative writing is my understanding. Um, looks like at Eastern Washington university. Um, she's talking about specifically the context of academic conferences and presentations. Um, so this also sort of fits in cause we were talking about a reading I had given last week, um, which was a little bit different than the context she's talking about. Um, but she's been struck by this phenomenon that when academics show up at events like this, so often, although they may have this really rich research or writing to present, when they go to present, they're often just reading straight from the page, even though there's a room full of humans who are sort of uh, excited to be able to see them in person and interact with them. Um, and yet academics do this to each other all the time. They show up and, and read from a paper, which could just as easily be done individually from a phone or, um, you know, in a different time and place. So she's thinking out loud about um, what's missed when we do that and how, although preparing for a talk as if it were a talk and not a reading, um, although it takes a lot more preparation, it takes a lot more work on the front end it can produce such a different experience once you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that, I think you've summarized the, the argument very well. Um, for anybody curious, we, we will link to this article in show notes. If you want to read along, um, and take a look, you know, you can pause and take a look at it now. Don't worry. We'll wait. Um, otherwise, uh, you can read it after the fact <laughs> and make sure we've represented it well. Um, on, on the subject of what you just said, though, about the amount of preparation it takes in order to prepare for a talk versus prepare, you, you know, basically an essay that you're going to read aloud. Um, that's one thing I was struck by reading this is is I got that same impression from her that that's how she looked at the two um, and, and the difference in the labor. 
But I'm I, I'm not actually 100% sure I agree with that that divide. Mm. Um, I, I do kind of wonder, um, and as you know, I am a presidential speechwriter, uh, if it isn't true that depending on the kind of writing or the kind of talk that you're talking about giving, if it isn't actually less work to prepare for a talk, if you really know what to prepare for. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to my argument I made last week about uh, maybe maybe the key with preparation being, you know, knowing what to prepare for so you, you can avoid, you know, preparing for other things. And I think the specific mm-hmm. example I gave was was giving a talk. You know, if you know what you're trying to get across and you really know that material, uh, it mm-hmm. doesn't really matter how well you know your talk. Because whatever comes up, you can you can go back to what you're trying to convey. You can try a different strategy. You can go for mm-hmm. a different example. You can react to the audience. You don't need to worry about where you were in your your 14 page paper. Um, right, right. And and I would even say within her article, uh, the laborious description she made about and certainly she she did also um, list a lot of iterations and refining she was doing while preparing for the talk as a talk. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, her description of her writing process also sounded like it was pretty labor intensive. Yeah. Um, so let me clarify. So she's saying that she thinks people avoid this process because it takes much longer to prepare the talking part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you were hearing too. That is what I was hearing too. Okay. But I, I'm just saying, I'm not sure if you really, and maybe it is the first couple times you do it, you know, if mm-hmm. you're new to giving a speech in this, in this context, uh, in a way other than just reading your paper, maybe it does take longer. But mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like that, you know, I think there's less work um, in that kind of preparation than in the I'm going to write this, this perfectly written thing and then read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now I will say, um, for from her context, if she's if she's reading a paper, she would be writing for publication anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, if this is writing that she has to do anyhow, then yes, just getting up and reading it, that's basically free talk prep. Like, there mm-hmm. isn't a lot of labor getting ready for that. Maybe she tweaks right. it to make it make it sound a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the kind of uh, – there's, there's an episode – I'll link to it in the show notes – an episode of Roderick on the Line um, where John Roderick is describing a live show he gave in uh, Seattle. I think mm-hmm. it was just this last fall, uh, last fall or last summer. Uh, in 2014 in any case – uh, and he describes preparing for it by basically writing like a, a 10,000 word essay and then reading through it and discovering that it only filled like a quarter of the time he wanted to fill. So then he wrote <laughs> another one, <laughs> um, you know, and the, and, and learning as he got up there that he was better off, you know, not getting up and reading a, a many thousand word essay, but actually just, you know, mm-hmm. telling a story and seeing where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I, I think, and that's what I kind of think of when I read her description of these two, of these two forms is, you know, I, I think the labor of, of writing to read something, uh, I would expect to be more than the labor of preparing just to speak, not quite extemporaneously, but just mm-hmm. to be able to speak about your topic, you know, intelligently as a human to a group of humans, mm-hmm. um, to use, to use that phrase you use in every episode that I like so much. <laughs> humans. Oh, and I think, I think I noticed she did it. She did it too. When she was mm-hmm. talking about revising and trying to remember to talk like a human. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But no, as you were, as you were talking, a connection I was making was that I think you're right. And maybe the reason it seems like more work to prepare a topic as a performance is that if you're used to writing in one mode, say the mode of Mm -hmm. an academic article, it feels like an entire translation process to prepare it in any other way. Hmm, That's a good point. 
So I wonder if it's that some folks, they start by preparing it in the way that they're used to. So they write it as an academic mm. article or essay. Right. And then sort of rethink about it, revise it, re-see see it mm-hmm. as a performance. Sure. So it yeah. really is. So maybe it is two steps for people. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that definitely why it's so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a couple things. And of course, jump in. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me in the context of things we've been thinking about um, was that I noticed by the end of this article, the author um, seemed to be getting on board with some of the things we talked about. So uh, after she's decided to sort of tackle this presentation that she had been working on, she talks about how she was revising it back and forth between um, a fully written out prose form versus a series of bullet points. She went back and forth between those two options, um, she says, about 50 times. <laughs> yeah, I um, noticed that. I was, <laughs> I was thinking at that point, well, no wonder it's taking you so long. Right. Like, <laughs> it sounds like you're just sort of dilly-dallying and switching just to see. Um, but then what she says in the rest of that paragraph is, I knew that I would end up uttering sentences that trailed off, that I would repeat words, phrases, and ideas, that I'd say um and like too much. Mm-hmm. While there are some people, while there are people whose thoughts come out in complete and beautiful paragraphs, sadly, I'm not one of them. I had to tell myself that that was okay. Um, so I was thinking about the idea of trial and error and failure in this part hmm. and how it sounds like she had to get comfortable with those realities um, before she would let herself think of this as a presentation. Right. And that's, um, I was, I was, <laughs> I just said, um, <laughs> that's something I was struck by as well, because we've talked on, on, um, I don't know if it's made any of the cuts of the, the actual show that went out, but mm-hmm. we've talked in our recording sessions about hearing all of our ums and, you know, and, uh, things like that. Uh, <laughs> there I go again. <laughs> now I'm very conscious of it. Um, <laughs> but I think that's that's too uh going back to the idea of if you know what to prepare for and what people are really looking for um there's definitely I think a class of speaking where you want to minimize that if you are in a presidential debate, you know you probably don't want to be the candidate who says you know and um a hundred times in every mm-hmm. answer mm-hmm. um <laughs> can't not hear myself doing it you can't unhear it i i think though in in certainly something like a podcast most of the podcasts that i listen to they probably say um yes less than you and i do because they're mostly by people who've done many hundreds of episodes but i think at the same time like something like this we are two people having a conversation Uh, As though we're a couple friends sitting in a room and everyone else is listening as though they're also our friends, also sitting in the room, just listening to us at a party. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one of the things I like about podcasting and a a definite feeling that I get about most of the, the, you know, complete strangers, to be honest, who do the podcast that I listen to. It's really very conversational and and you feel like you're a part of it. And if there's a lot of uh and um and hemming and hawing and off the cuff speaking and not quite precise references, that's okay because it's a conversation. 
Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of a lot of talks, and I'm not talking specifically about you know necessarily the academic context that she's talking about here, but I think an awful lot of talks, and probably more in that context than people let them you know will let themselves think they are, mm-hmm. um, really could benefit from just being a little looser and more conversational. And the audience isn't going to hear you go uh and um; they're going to hear another. <laughs> again, I'm gonna gonna use your phrase. They're going to see you as a human <laughs> delivering human conversation that they as mm-hmm. humans are consuming. Yeah. Um, and, and the ums and the uhs are part of that. You know, you, you wouldn't worry about how many times you said, uh, while you're having a conversation with the woman who cuts your hair or the man who cuts (laughs) your hair for that matter, um, Mm -hmm. or talking to your doctor, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be super concerned about the fact that you said, uh, five times. Yeah. Uh, and I (laughs) keep hearing myself do it now. (laughs) I, I think a lot of the time, you know, if that's what you're obsessed with is memorizing a perfectly written paragraph so you don't have to say, uh, <laughs> you're doing probably more preparation than you need to on the wrong thing. Whereas if you just, if you, again, if you just know the material, if you know the research that you did and you mm-hmm. know it well and you know the arguments against it in case anybody has a question that's kind of challenging, yeah, then you can get up there and talk about it. And if you mm-hmm. say, uh, that's okay. You've still got the numbers. Right. They're probably on your slide and too small of text, but yeah. <laughs> that's another issue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I'm thinking about in the uh, collegiate competitive speech world. So often I find myself praising students who have obviously connected with their topics and really engaged with them at a personal level. Um, it's, it's much easier to forgive delivery and performance issues in light of that engagement and passion. So I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, those students have fo- have chosen to focus on the important things, what I would call mm-hmm. the important things. Right. Um, and I recognize that as a listener, as an right. audience member. I think you're right. Sure. And, and again, leaning on my uh, fake presidential speechwriter credentials, <laughs> there are certainly contexts where it's going to matter tremendously that you get the wording right. Um, if you are yeah. a politician delivering a carefully crafted message <clears throat> off of a teleprompter, uh, every term has been carefully polled and chosen, and those sentences have been crafted in such a way. You need to really get it right. Right. Um, and she mentions um, in this in this paper, uh, flipping back so I get the author's name right, uh, Rachel Tour mentions in this paper, uh, this article in the Chronicle, that e- there are disciplines in classrooms where this is common practice. You know, there are places where this is just how it goes. Right. You know, right. if you are if you are in a speech competition. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not in competitive speech, but if there are events where you have to have a, a specific uh, a body of text that you need to stick to word to word for word, that is the mm-hmm. important thing. You know, I'm not right. saying it's never the important thing. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is it's often not going to be the most important thing. Yeah. And I think what she's saying, because it sounds like what you're talking about is, of course, there are contextual and conventional things that probably should factor into your decision-making process, Mm -hmm. (laughs) into your preparation, deciding how to prepare. Um, And I think what she's trying to do is point out that the convention is kind of silly and it could Mm -hmm. be a a much cooler experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we are in agreement with her uh, on, on that point, at least I'm, I'm arguing only with her characterization of how much work it is to prepare for a talk as a talk. Sure. Um, I think, I think for a lot of people that will be less. And even just speaking for myself, I think I have fallen victim too many times to the, I'm going to write it out. And if not read it, at least 
mostly memorize it and and hope to get back to the essence of the text. You know, if if all I'm looking at mm-hmm. is a list of bullet points, I'm still often trying to to recall something much more specific that is written down somewhere. And that's that's you know, my my better uh, public speaking has definitely been much more off the cuff. Um, you know, just thinking back to uh, you and I have both been volunteers for many years uh, with a not-for-profit called Nebraska Leadership Seminar. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I have had to give a lot of instruction and information standing in front of a large group of my, <laughs> my peers and various students. And I, you know, thinking back to my experiences there, I think I always did better when I just had something very specific I needed to convey in a certain amount of time and went up and did it without preparation, except mm-hmm. for knowing what I needed to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the times where I, I tried to very carefully craft something and deliver it mm-hmm. as a quote unquote speech there were the ones where I, I got mm-hmm. wooden and fell on my face and forgot something crucial. That's so funny because what I'm trying to latch on to the way you worded that you said you didn't prepare except you knew what you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's so funny because sort of out of context that sounds like that the definition of preparation right? Well, for a I, talk, yeah, for an I, informal talk. I, I think that's exactly what I was trying to say last week when I said, like, if you mm-hmm. know what to prepare for, you don't have to prepare anymore. Yeah, yeah. So in that case, uh, maybe some of those little particular delivery flourishes that you were trying to map out ahead of time weren't necessary. It mm. was just the content that you knew the right. students and the, the volunteers needed to hear. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that sort of ties in, um, and I think I have a question. I don't know what it is yet, so we'll we'll see if I get there. <laughs> we'll see if the train stops at the right station, as per usual. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so at one point, when she's talking about her, her revelation that even her talks weren't working, um, she says, and she says that she knew that because she had been to so many talks just like her own. And she was not amused. <laughs> she did not like being an audience member to readings. So she says something, and sort of the way I was picking on what you said, she says, I told myself that at least my writing was lively. But the truth is, even when lectures are well-crafted, I still find it hard to listen. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to dive into that because I don't know what it means that the lecture was well-crafted if it meant that the audience was bored. <laughs> like what, how right. is it well-crafted if it's not? Yeah, I, I didn't I catch know. that going through it, but that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I think going, you, uh, when, I, when I was critiquing this piece a little bit ago, you picked up on a distinction that I think is important. Um, and I'll, I'll float a version of that here. Um, I would say that, that what she might be meaning there. Um, and I don't know for sure that she realizes that the the contradiction she's raised with, you know, Mm well-crafted lecture that makes me bored. Um, But what she might mean is the lecture as in the written document that is being read is well-crafted perhaps as something to read. It's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. if you are interested in whatever the topic is, um, I, uh, I'm already forgetting what she is a specialist in. Did you say creative writing? Yes. She teaches creative writing. Oh, Oh, there it is. Stump. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, assuming, assuming it's, I, I assuming that this was not just a completely, um, you know, accidental turn of phrase. She might be meaning that that it is a very well crafted piece of writing that someone else interested in creative writing could take to and enjoy reading. 
mm-hmm. um, but that it is not well crafted as a lecture, mm-hmm. you know, as an actual thing that would be delivered orally. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. So that maybe yeah. if I were to pose that critique to her, she might just say, oh, well, I shouldn't have said lecture. I should have said right, right. piece of writing. Yeah. I, I do think it's a slip up the way she phrased it because it allows the interpretation you just made, which is exactly right. It's not a mm-hmm. well-crafted lecture if, if people are not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Well, and if... <laughs> if we were not two people who are sort of sensitive to issues of education talking, I could hear someone else saying, oh, but she's implying that all lectures are boring, and aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, just most lectures. Just most. <laughs> just sometimes. Yeah. What else were you noticing? Um, excellent question. I mean, we'll open my. I made a little document where I was taking notes. My second read through. Um, I made the joke about what kind of net. Check. I got my. Oh, a couple of these are actually notes I was making. So actually, you know what? Um, this is something that uh, I didn't think of while I was reading it, but uh, I want to bring up now that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. So, um, as the listener may have noticed, uh, we've referenced a couple of times that we're going to run kind of short today. And uh, Katie has mentioned that her voice might not hold out. And you may have noticed, depending on how sensitive your ears are and whether you've ever listened to this podcast before, that she sounds slightly different. Um, Because, as it happens, Katie has got some kind of cold. Um, So before we recorded today, we were discussing earlier in the day whether we'd be able to record at all. Um, Because in addition to a cold, you also have travel starting on Wednesday, correct? I do. Yeah. So we were kind of scrambling for backup plans, one of which was um, not my favorite plan in the world, but I I'd still I wanted to make sure we had something. So I went ahead and halfway executed it uh, before, before you decided that we actually could do this. Um, one of the ideas for a backup plan was I would just record something solo, um, do sort of an audio essay kind of thing. Uh, a little, little bit of background on the show. The first time we had the idea to do this show, to do Priority, was uh, in 2012, I want to say. It was quite a while ago, years ago. Um, It took us a long time to get around to actually doing it, but, you know, here we are at long last. Um, Last fall, uh, inspired by a number of events in the world of podcasting, uh, I finally said to myself, okay, I've got to do something. Um, I need to, you know, this is something I've wanted to do for years. I love this medium. I got to do something. So I sort of hatched a plan where I was going to do a, a sort of solo podcast that would be just a short, like 15 minute audio essay on topics similar to what we're talking about on this show. Mm. Um, and that I would start that up fairly quickly and just, just to get my feet wet and make sure I was doing something and learning and figuring out how to do it. And then you and I would do Mm. this show, you know, eventually in the, the weeks or months to follow. Um, as it happens along somewhere along the way, I got it in my head, uh, the correct notion that this was a really bad idea (laughs) (laughs) and that the show that I should be doing is the show we're doing now, (laughs) Oh my gosh! (laughs) uh, which is turned out to be absolutely true because today I dug up notes from a couple of, uh, what would have been episodes of the other version of the show, the solo one. And over lunch, I spent a half hour uh, kind of amalgamating two of those together and hashing out a rough outline, um, 
scripting a few parts pretty pretty precisely, and the rest of it was just sort of bullet points that I was going to riff on. Hmm. Uh, and then I went to my car. I hung up my sweater from the um, the the sun visor, so it would kind of envelope where I had my mic uh, set up, so there it wouldn't be too echoey. And I recorded thirty minutes of myself um, failing to make an episode of Priority. Because <laughs> uh, I was basically, even when I had the bullet points to riff on, I was basically doing what she's talking about in here. I was essentially reading something I had already decided to talk about. Hmm. Um, it was like a bad essay, and then I was reading it. Huh. So as you were reading, you weren't finding yourself discovering new ideas? Not really, no. Um, which actually kind of surprises me. So this is one of the reasons why I set that project aside uh, and decided to pursue this one first was I felt like, uh, first of all, when I sat down to try to record, I was like, mm, my mic technique is not that good. I'm not really finding any of these pieces. You know, I, I don't know. I need more practice writing scripts or riffing on bullet points or both. Mm. Um, and I figured today it would be worth it to risk it just again because I didn't want to have a week without an episode. Mm-hmm. You know, if you and I ran out of time and couldn't do anything. Um, I should mention for the listener as well, we did have other backup plans. We do have audio that's been cut from other episodes and even a couple of sessions that didn't get released as episodes. So, you know, we, we would have had something. Um, but the thing that I tried to do today was basically to do what, what she's talking about here and, you know, write an essay, read it, and it didn't work. Um, and I will say, I ex- I kind of half expected it to work just because I figured, well, we've been doing this for, you know, it's been on, on the air, quote unquote. People have been hearing it for a month, um, but it, we've actually been working on it for close to two months now. And I was like, well, right, I've probably right. built up some level of skill. I'm sure it'll be better than the last time I tried to do this solo. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of fell flat on its face. And I think part of it is just because I haven't done much in the medium, you know, as a solo speaker. Uh, and I think that is really hard to do well, but part of it too, I think, comes back to what she is. What uh, what uh, I keep having to flick back. To see <laughs> Rachel, <her name>. Tor. <laughs> Rachel Tor. Rachel <laughs> Tor. Uh, part of it is down to what Rachel Tor says in this piece that it's really not very engaging to just listen to somebody read their writing, mm-hmm. and even when I was riffing, that's mm-hmm. basically what I was doing. Mm. So it's super appropriate that I pitched this today. It is because I, yeah. you know, nobody heard it, but I basically did what you said not to do. Wow. <laughs> I prepped for a but talk hey, as though tried. it were a paper. I did try. Yeah. Uh, and I've got 30 minutes of bad audio if I want to make a fake episode sometime. <laughs> there you go. I'm kind there of thinking of that now as like our spare tire, like, you know, the, the little donut tire in the, the trunk of the car that you don't really want to drive on for very far, but it's there. Oh, my gosh. So if we blow it one week, we can put that out, but I don't want to if we don't have to. Oh, my gosh. Your plan B. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm trying to think if I want to dig into something else or. Uh, I will say one thing I like is she uses the word druthers. Did she? Yeah. <laughs> if I had my druthers, that's how things would go. Mm. Yes. If I weren't one of those types, I would make some comment like, oh, those creative writing types, but I'm, <laughs> I'm one of them, yeah. and I find it sort of <laughs> meaningless when people say things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, thank you. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. I um, So one, one thing I guess I will say, we talked briefly. I, I made a joke about slides with too much text that's too small. Oh, yes. And oh, she yes. talks about that in here. Um, that's... Uh, she she mentions images and using pictures of her dog, who is very photogenic. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's another thing I'll just throw out there as as you know the prepare for the right thing so you don't have to you know prepare for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than trying to write your talk out on your slides, I think very often it's more effective to just have a nice, not distracting, but you know maybe on point image of some kind as a background and a very few words. Um, you know, if you can get mm-hmm. a small number of words that underline what you're saying right on your slides, you, it doesn't really matter that much what's mm-hmm. on the slides. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to illustrate mm-hmm. your talk as though it were a comic book um, or instructions for assembling an IKEA desk. Uh, nor do you need to give your entire talk to the audience, you know, in bullets on the screen, which you shouldn't anyhow because they'll read that instead of listening to you. Right, and sometimes it's word for word what you're reading from the paper anyway. And I think one of the reasons why that process does add time and add labor is that um, sometimes people are sort of in the midst of their work and so it's hard to zoom out and think oh wait how would I synthesize this in a catchy 10 word phrase Mm -hmm. you know what I mean they haven't done that level of thinking they've done the level of thinking of writing it out into complete thoughts Mm -hmm. but it's yeah. another translation to synthesize it that way. You know, I I, I just thought of a, of a of an idea and a process that I'm gonna um, I'm gonna throw out there as I, I don't know necessarily that this would be just for I'll I'll say definitely it wouldn't just be for like making slides in a presentation and I I am sure it's not always going to be the best approach to that either. But um, you said like a little ten word phrase that that mm-hmm. distills out of it. I'm thinking even it might be good to go for a a three or two or one word. Uh, phrase, you know, mm-hmm. th- what is what is the word or very very few words that summarizes the theme or the point of what you're saying right now, mm-hmm. um, and just use that as as more of a punctuation mark or like you know this is the vocabulary word I want you to pick up during this paragraph right. of speaking I'm doing right now. Right. Um, and as far as like a process to get that, this this might be getting back towards labor intensiveness, but I think it's it's kind of a nice I don't know. It strikes me as kind of a nice free flowing way to do it. And while I don't recall that I've ever done it, I, I think it would probably not be too bad. Um, years ago, I will try to find a reference to it uh, for show notes. Um, I read an article about uh, former Vice President um, Al Gore. Uh, hmm. he who invented the internet and has single-handedly stopped global warming. Um, Thanks, Al Gore. <laughs> thank you, Al Gore. We love you. Uh, Title. Th- <laughs> <laughs> this article talked about the way he prepared for um, whenever he was going to write a piece, um, either a position paper or or an article or a letter to someone or anytime he was going to give a speech, mm-hmm. is he would find every book and article he could find on the subject and and read as much of it as he could possibly could and then he would pick out the one source that he really really felt encapsulated you know the idea he was trying to get across so mm-hmm. right now we're in we're in the labor intensive part of this hopefully you'll you'll know your topic well enough you can skip over a lot of this but anyhow he'll mm-hmm. he'll find the one the one article or book that really captures it and then he'll find the one section of that article or the one chapter of that book that that really gets to what he thinks matters and then he'll narrow it down to a page and mm-hmm. then he'll find the sentence that he thinks most encapsulates it and then in that sentence he's either going to circle or if it's not there by itself now, write in, you know, the one or two or three words that, that just that summarizes his entire synthesis of, of all that material that he's been he's been cutting away and cutting away at this whole time. Mm. Um, 
And I would I would say, you know, I wouldn't say anytime you want to do a talk for every slide, you should go find every book and article you can find <laughs> on the subject of that one slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say it's probably a good exercise to think about, you know, what are the sources that are informing your talk? And, and is there a particular idea or passage in there that you think is the most important? And can you look at that and maybe find a sentence and boil it down to a word or two, you know, and use that? And that you might find that exercise too becomes a good springboard for all kinds of other things. Um, a couple episodes back when we talked about learning, I referenced a book by Tom Peters called Reimagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing he talks about that in a in a different chapter than the one we were talking about was words and his relationship to words, and how he'll have ideas and arguments percolating in his in the back of his mind for months or years, and then just stumble upon a word. And and not even a new word, not like a recently invented word, you know, not some crazy portmanteau or or fake internet word, um, but just a just a common English word that he had taken for granted that someone will use in a particular way, and all of a sudden, all the stuff he's been thinking about will just snap into place, hmm. and and that word becomes his new, you know, obsession. Um, mm-hmm. It's your w- anchor. What's that? It's your anchor. Yeah, your anchor exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I guess you know if we want to have sort of a. <laughs> tip on prepping slides. I would say look for the word or very short phrase that's going to anchor the slide, you know, that's going to to be an anchor for what you're saying right now. I'm Mm -hmm. stealing your word anchor. (laughs) You may have it. It's a good word. Um, You know, find your anchor. Anchor is the word that would be on the slide right now if I were going to (laughs) talk. And it would be a picture of an anchor in in like at the bottom of uh, of a bay, you know, with with misty green blue sunlight coming down through the water. Lovely. And barnacles. Barnacles. Yes. Now, I've got a writing strategy that I um, use with my students. Again, I don't always um, think to do things like this, but I'm really good at suggesting them to other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, as they say, when, when, you, when you can't, teach. <laughs> yes. There was a comma in there. <laughs> I don't actually say that. I try to avoid that. Um, but in this case, it's sort of true. It's hard to remember to do things like this for myself. Um, but when we're revising, um, especially because sometimes organization and scope can be difficult if you've never figured out how to look for them yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask students to first, so there's three steps to the strategy. First, um, summarize your entire paper into a paragraph. Mm. So they'll spend some time doing that. And then next I'll ask them to summarize their entire paper again, but this time they're limited to the form of a haiku. (laughs) 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 So a little... A little bit more productive application of the haiku in a writing classroom. It's the liberal arts version of Al Gore's strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then third step... uh, summarize the whole paper in a six word story. (laughs) So that way for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, I just wanted to prove that I knew that six word story was a thing. It is a thing. Good job, Max. (laughs) Creative writing cred. I'm even giving you snaps. Um, Yeah. But in that case, just thinking of students and younger writers in particular, doing it in phases like that can be a little less intimidating than, okay, you have six words, do your best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But same sort of thing. You have to think about it um, at different levels as you go. Yeah. Yes. And in the process, you might realize that you're sort of lacking focus, but you might, Mm -hmm. because you have to pick out what is most important. What is your anchor? um, As we've now discovered. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the one other thing that occurs to me, listening to your your process there, um, the other thing I, I wonder if you might sometimes discover, because uh, I think I've discovered this a few times, like when I thought I had a good idea for a book and then I discovered I had an idea for a tweet. Um, <laughs> is, That's a great is, story right there, those two lines. <laughs> <laughs> which has literally happened to me before. Um, I, I do think sometimes the exercise of trying to condense your idea down, um, you know, simplify it for a given audience, for a given context, you might discover that, in fact, what you, what you have, um, you know, it, it not only can be fit in that in that scope of thing you're trying to squeeze it down into, but once you get it in there, it doesn't really want to expand back out. Mm. You know that may really be all you have. Um, and I I, uh, I don't mean to critique it because I actually like this book a lot. But um, <laughs> one thing that was uh, mostly the subject of the the fake not going to be published Max Go Solo episode of Priority that I recorded today uh, is a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution um, mm. by Chris McChesney, Jim Hewling, and Sean Covey. Um, there's somebody named Covey among the authors, so you can guess what company put this book out. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's a really good book. It's a neat program. I like a lot of the ideas in it. Um what I talked about in, in the course of my 30 minutes, I didn't even spend the entire time summarizing the content of the book, and I felt like I did a really good job summarizing the content of the book. And it occurs to me that my favorite version of that particular work is a, a keynote address that Chris McChesney gave that's about 45 minutes long that Franklin Covey put out on CD in 2008, hmm. uh, four years before the book came out. And I can honestly say I don't think I got a damn thing out of the book that I didn't get out of that 45-minute address. Hmm. Um, which, again, I think, I think goes back to the idea that, you know, if you, if you really know your message and you know what to prep for, you don't need to prep for much. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's good they put the book out. Some people would prefer it in book form. And they do have mm-hmm. more – there's more examples and more detail in the book if you want to – you know, you're a CEO of a small company and you want to go implement the ideas – Right. Um, I think you'd be better suited with the book than with McChesney's talk, but um, it's kind of like a, a Pareto thing, like an 80-20 rule thing. Like like <laughs> 80% of the value of the book is probably in less than 20% of the, the actual uh-huh. text, and that's all represented in that 45-minute talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll, you'll get most of the benefit without ever touching the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to tie all this back to preparation and, in a way, revision – I think part of these processes is that you have to make realistic decisions and assessments about whether you've got a book or a tweet and whether you've got um, a performance or a reading. Mm, Well put. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening.
yeah, get me your audio as quick as you can. Uh, yes. And I'm if it comes across quick enough, I'm actually going to try to do some editing tonight because I don't think there will be that much. I'm, I think this time I'm mostly going to be looking for background noises. Um, I had, I know you had some coughs. I had a few sniffs in there. I cleared my throat once. A lot of flipping papers around <laughs> looking for the name. Uh, Rachel Tor. 